Hey guys, welcome to Rankin Vile, the podcast where we are ranking every single horror movie ever made. And this is Ryan. And this is Quincy. How's it going, Quincy? How's your week going? It's so good to talk to a person at length that's not related to me. Oh man, so you've been sort of in the thick of it, huh? I've been the peacock family just hanging out <laughs> under my bed, just talking to my own relatives. Yeah. And no one else. No, no. They's gonna change our ways. <laughs> we we always knew this day would come. And it's just, yeah, <laughs> like the, the, the health inspector being like, hey guys, this is too many boxes. You can't, you're like, no! And you just like hit them with a hammer. <laughs> um, yeah, it's honestly like quarantine right now. Most of my IRL, inter- like, so uh, all of my IRL interactions are with uh, Christina and Sarah. But when I leave the house, I've realized that, like, no, I don't know. Like, there's a weird thing where everybody's got, like, earbuds on and a mask and nobody's talking to anybody because what the fuck would you talk about anyway? It's, I'm kind of into it, actually. <laughs> like, not having I to talk to anyone. I found that I've been smizing harder than I've ever smized before because I'm always <laughs> wearing a mask. So I'm just, like, widening my eyes as hard as possible <laughs> to every person I walk past. Wait, so wait, what, what's smizing? You don't know, smi- oh, oh, you don't watch uh, America's Next Top Model. It's smiling with your eyes. Ah, okay. Well, there we go. So you're doing a lot of sort of like, uh, like, hello, here's, I, my eyes are very warm and friendly and like. Yeah, yeah. It's like, let me, let me show you that I'm smiling by like creasing my, my eyelids. Uh, so I was like wanting to get some like jacket spikes uh, for uh, a face mask and then realized that like, you know. Putting perforating your mask with several holes does somewhat <laughs> defeat the point of the of the face mask. Yeah. Like m- making a fashion statement, it's yeah, it's a whole thing. Although I also there's something gross to me about WWE releasing um, logo face masks. Yeah, um, the influx of all of the face masks that are out now feels kind of gross in a way that I can't quite put my finger on. <laughs> yeah, like, it, it's sort of like uh, uh, people who prosper during a plague sort of thing. Like, Although, I guess, if you're a face mask maker, this is your time to shine, I guess? Yeah, finally. <laughs> no one wanted these face masks. <laughs> when you were out dating women and having fun, I owned my face mask itch. I, I taught st- myself the art of the mask. I studied the mask. Yeah, it's... <laughs> Holy fuck. Yeah. And yeah, we'll see. You'll all come running to me for my face. You you make fun of me now and call me Sub-Zero and Scorpion, but we'll see who's fucking laughing. You won't see you won't see that I'm laughing because I'm wearing a mask, but fucking trust me, I'm laughing. But you feel You'll bad. hear my muffled chortles. <laughs> Nothing worse than a muffled chortle. So what, what ghoul shit have you been consuming this week? Ryan, I have gotten really into spiritualism-influenced fiction from the turn of the century. That is so specific. Say more right now. So, I our good friends at uh, William Morrow sent me Agatha Christie's The Last Seance, Tales of the Supernatural. Oh, fuck yeah. Ryan, did you know that Agatha Christie wrote ghost stories? I, that actually, I I did not know that, and it kind of surprises me, because Agatha Christie seemed kind of, like, no-nonsense and kind of, you know, brass tacks about it. There's even a Poirot story in here. No shit. Yeah, and he's like, 
Well, in the Poirot story, it's like, it's not really a ghost, but because people thought it was a ghost, I was able to deduce the mystery faster. See, yeah. But the title story, The Last Seance, is legit. This medium is able to connect with the dead, and she's really tired of it, and like, (laughs) she's like, I'm gonna retire, and then her partner's like, one more job. And she's like, I don't know, and... My favorite trope in gothic fiction is a romantic person that says, I really don't want to mess with nature. Right. And scientist, hubristic scientist, who's also usually a hubristic man that goes, nah, let's just see what happens. It's, it's my favorite thing about my favorite Nathaniel Hawthorne story, The Birthmark, is just oh, a piece yeah. of shit husband that's like, no, I, I'm better than nature. I can fuck with it. Yeah, yeah. It's why I love Frankenstein so much. And in this, uh, literally, this woman is a medium. So she's able to commune with the other side of the veil. And uh, she materializes ghosts with the ectoplasm of her own body. So, like, Ooh. all of the liquid in her body leaves and creates ectoplasm. So, like, it gives her horrible headaches, and she has to, like, lay in bed for days after because she's dehydrated. And the money is too good because this rich French lady is desperate to see her dead child. Shit. And the rules are, like, you can't touch the medium in the, in the seance because that's, like, going to hurt her. Right. But the... The... Uh, it's too sweet. She's got to touch her dead baby. So she steals the ghost. <laughs> and that's not a spoiler, because the last seance was originally titled, when it was published in a magazine, The Woman Who Stole a Ghost. Wow. So they, they committed, like, ghost theft. Yes. And, of course, it's, it's like, causes the medium to get gravely injured. They... Because... Because you can't steal a ghost. <laughs> they purloined the poltergeist. I that's honestly, yeah. I think my favorite thing uh, from that period, like either Edwardian or even like before that, like with, like during like the Regency era. Um, mm. I love uh, mummery and chicanery. I love it when there's somebody with mirrors under the table and like somebody working the lights or something. Um, honestly, I feel like if you're a science guy who's trying to like subdue nature and you're like oh, i'm pretty sure i know what's going on like you're kind of punching your own ticket like ghosts are gonna murder you because this is you're you you're you're committed to uh cutting up and do and doing wrong yeah so what's great is yes this agatha christie book is a must read and william morrow or angels for sending me the last seance yeah but that's not the only uh turn of the century spiritualism i've been reading <laughs> Okay, what's the other one? So Edith Wharton. Yeah. Oh fuck, it's <laughs> really great for just like I love Edith Wharton for her stories about uh the modern woman and uh who the modern woman has been cuckolding. But she also wrote this book called Of Men and Ghosts, which is short stories about men, but also it's called Tales of Men and Ghosts. <laughs> so it's tales of ghosts, but also tales of like depraved men. And she's got this novella called The Bolted Door. Ryan, have you ever read this? No, never read it. 
It is about a failed playwright who is suicidal but doesn't have the gumption to kill himself. <laughs> so he decides to confess to his lawyer his deepest, darkest secret about how he got enough money to be a playwright. So he is a um, heir, and because he has this fortune, he can he can you know dilly dally and dabble in playwriting. Ah, uh, but he's bad at it. So he calls his lawyer into his drawing room and says, so I got all my money from my cousin who uh, was this millionaire and spent all of our lives, all of his money on raising melons. Huh. Okay. So, so this man is obsessed with raising melons and Grenice, the uh, cousin says I was really jealous because my sister and I were orphaned and we had no money and yet my cousin was spending all of the family fortune on, <laughs> on prize winning melons so then uh, <laughs> he goes to stay with his melon uh, cultivating cousin right melon folk. and poisons him and and also it's a very crucial point the cousin doesn't eat the melons he just grows them to win prizes at county fairs <laughs> but then the melons get so good he's got to taste one and as soon as he tastes one he dies so our narrator Grenice turns to his lawyer and says it was me who poisoned the melons and the lawyer <laughs> says that's such a good story if only you wrote that as a play you'd have a successful play he's like no, that's what really happened. And the lawyer's like, lol, whatever. No, it's not. Good night. So then the next chapter is him going to the district attorney and retelling the same story and just escalating because he wants to be uh, he, he wants to be put to death by the death penalty because mm -hmm. he can't be a he can't commit suicide successfully. But no one will believe this very elaborate poison melon story. So he is uh, left being. Melancholy. Ah! Uh, <laughs> uh, fuck! I, I, I didn't... This was all a lead-up to that one... I was gonna make a joke about melon felons, but yours... God damn it, Quincy, that's so good. He gets so anyway, melancholy. um... <laughs> apparently, the turn of the century is buckwild with insane stories of ghosts and and, you know, and melon perverts. It makes yeah, it makes sense to me though, because like right after the Victorian period, maybe it's like the early '90s where like that era had passed and nobody really knew what the fuck to do with themselves during the Edwardian period. So they were just sort of like, I guess melon crimes. I don't know. <laughs> huh? We haven't. <laughs> We haven't been disillusioned by World War One yet, so melon crumbs? Yeah, that's yeah, that's exactly Jesus Christ. That's that's I gotta, oh, I gotta oh, look into this. Also <laughs> I've read a third spiritualism story this week. Wow, alright, what's the third one? So Kyle Starks, the comic book artist, just released his B sides ebook of all of his old comic strips. And he has a story called The Last Seance, which is about um guys who are trying to disprove seances except this time it works and uh it's revealed that the the drunk watson-esque partner actually killed the guy's daughter and it's like then he's gonna figure out like okay we thought this was all bunk and now we realize it's real and what are we gonna do about it 
Jesus, this is this is like that poem, um, Thirteen Ways of Looking at a, uh, to Look at a Blackbird, where it's like <laughs> as many possible variations of a turn of the century mysticism inspired uh, tale. Honestly, um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, everybody at my house like we just mainlined all of the Agatha Christie uh, BBC adaptations. Talking about that Marple? No, not the Marple. I've never, I've never seen Miss Marple. Um, they. They have a bunch of them, like, they have, uh, and then there were none with, like, Charles Dance is there. Um, they have one where uh, Poirot is played by John Malkovich. Um, and they were all basically written by a writer who didn't really give a shit about Agatha Christie's actual stories. But they were great because, like, they sort of looked at what Agatha Christie was doing and going, like, okay, I can use that as a jumping off point for the thing I want to do. And it's fucking fantastic. Like, I love Agatha Christie, but I also love that it wasn't just, like, a, a straight adaptation of Agatha Christie. It's... Yeah, here's, it's great. Here's something I want to know. Why does Agatha Christie hate the French so much, but loves the Belgians I mean, so much? she does also... I mean, yeah, she's a complicated person. I, I love inter- or intra-European uh, racism, where, like, <laughs> it's white people being racist about other white people who are just, like, slightly different and, like, a few miles away. It's my favorite thing. Yeah, because in the last seance, every story is like, and then some French motherfucker told us a ghost story. And we were like, get the fuck off this train, froggy. <laughs> it's like, what? Yeah, it is. It's it's buck wild. Um, and then now here's Hercule Poirot, a sweet angel. Yeah, a precious angel who must be protected above all things. It's, yeah, Poirot is, is a perfect fucking character. Um this week, I uh, have fallen down a letter Kenny hole. I actually haven't really been in... All right, so I've been watching Jalo films on the side to, like... Because I'm, I'm writing um, I'm writing some stuff about some Jalo films, so, like, that's sort of my homework. Uh, I had never seen Letterkenny before. Um, have you have you seen Letterkenny? It is precious and delightful. It is... It is... It is... It is fucking cheesecake for the brain. It is... It is a delight. Like, we... We fucking marathoned, like, four seasons of it in a few days. Um, and I think what I love about it so much is that, like, they what they'll do in a season is, like, they'll have the same couple of phrases that they repeat over and over again, and they're able to have an entire conversation of, like, just those sayings one after the other very quickly. Yeah. Like, it's... it's, it's... Yeah, it's, it's, it's phenomenal. Um, aside from that, I've, we've also gotten into jigsaw puzzles... This is a path I cannot follow you on. I understand. I understand. It's uh, mostly because, like, Christina got super into them. So she, you know, like, when, when Christina gets into a thing, she just orders as many of them as, as she possibly can. So, yeah, this is what we do now is is watch Letter Kenny and do puzzles. So I feel like I'm growing soft in quarantine. Like, I'm not, I'm not becoming cooler or sharper or better. I'm just sort of like, oh, look, a puzzle with cats. And then that's that's what I'm... That's what I'm occupying myself with right now, aside from all the horror movies. Oh, so let's talk about the X-Files. Holy shit, right? So, all right, so the first episode this week that we're talking about uh, is from Season 2, Episode 20, and it's Humbug, um, the episode that's basically Todd Browning's Freaks, but with Mulder and Scully. I love how early... So, so one of my friends pointed out to me that early X-Files seasons they didn't know what they were doing so they just took movies and like this week is the thing and next week is Todd Browning's Freaks oh yeah and the week after that is um 
visiting hours, I guess, yeah. in the week after that. That's my favorite one was how shameless the, like, all right, so we're, uh, we're all really big fans of uh, John Carpenter's The Thing, so we're going to an Antarctic base, and there we, you know, we don't trust each other, and that's what we're doing. Um, and, yeah, like, honestly, those first few seasons of X-Files... My favorite thing about the X-Files is uh, Scully's capacity to continue being surprised by the supernatural as the series progresses. Like, it's it's an incredible thing, because, like, you know, we... Uh, I'm doing a rewatch of X-Files right now, we're on, like, season five, and, you know, every episode it's like, uh, you know, you, you sort of get Mulder coming in and being like, hey, have you ever heard of the parachute ghost? And she's, you know, always like, Mulder, those don't exist. And it's like, Scully, you've been a abducted by aliens like you have fucking been run up on by a bigfoot there you saw Mulder almost fuck the jersey devil one time like how are you still managing to be surprised by by things not making sense and yet i also am endlessly enamored in episodes like humbug where she is the one who discovers the mystery and is frustrated to no end that no one will listen to her, the yeah. ra- the one rational person in the entire Bureau of Investigation. <sighs> Man, honestly, though, like, you have to feel, like, right out of the and gate. And fucking Mulder is like, ha-ha, now you know what I feel like. <laughs> it's like, yeah, oh, yeah, like, everybody just tells you that you're a crazy asshole and only you know the truth and you can't tell everybody that they're wrong. Um, honestly, like when he shimmies away, <laughs> yeah, he just fucking Millie rocks out. Honestly, growing up, like I loved Mulder. Like I wanted, to, I had a Fox Mulder action figure. I had a little, like when I was a little little kid, I had a sign on my door that said FBI because I wanted to believe that I was Fox Mulder. And as I've gotten older, I have mostly, like, upon rewatching it as an adult, I mostly just feel bad for Scully. <laughs> Because, like, she gets plucked out of her job as a respected fucking medical professional because her superiors decided, like, you know what would be really funny is if we paired Scully with Spooky Mulder. Like, she's gone through a lot. Yeah, it's really... She's a precious angel. She has almost done as dirty as Tasha Yar in Star Trek, which I'm just now watching for the first time and i'm gonna die mad about dude i'm so excited for you yeah tashiar gets done real dirty by the show but i think that might also be because the actor was like had to go at one point and like didn't want to be on it so they were like all right well whatever so i think so rumor has it though that it was more like hey why am i not getting paid as much as everyone else on the cast and they're like bye (laughs) oh shit that's yeah, it's like, actually, you know what's going to happen to you is, you know who doesn't get paid is uh, people who get sucked into a tar pit. So uh, we've, <laughs> we've solved all of our problems. I That's guess. why I think in season three, they say, yes, Tasha Yar died a pointless, meaningless death. And we're deeply sorry, Tasha Yar's sister. <laughs> Poochie died on the way back to his home planet. Like, it's <laughs> poor fucking Tasha Yar. It's, yeah, it's a lot. So, all right. So, uh, the, so Humbug from, from X-Files. Um, it's great. So it starts out with these two kids playing in a pool and like splashing at each other. And there's, you uh, sort of see a shadowy sort of a Freddy Krueger looking face in the woods and it's sort of, which isn't that the perfect cold open for any episode of X-Files is children playing innocently creature stalks in the dark. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so like they're splashing around with each other and then, um, the creature in the dark sort of, you know, like goes into the pool and then pops out and goes, Wah! and the kids are like, dead and it's like oh yeah he's like the alligator man uh in a yeah in a, so in a he's, sideshow. he's a sideshow 
guy and he's home from from the road so it's like hey kids it's time to go to bed and they're like okay dad and then the dad gets murked by the monster of the week yeah which is just delightful role reversal honestly these kids have to be so unfuckwithable like their dad is the alligator man like they they have to be so hard to actually freak out um which apparently i had not realized this is a real life uh medical condition called uh ichthyos uh ichthyosis yeah. So uh, almost all sideshow performers, besides like Blockheads and the Enigma, <laughs> and, and that like are actual uh, people with medical conditions. Yeah, yeah. Like there, there are some folks that are just like, you know what? I'm. Although the, a thing that I think about a lot, um, the the block the the human Blockhead in this. Are you familiar with um, Melvin? Uh, wait, why am I blanking on his Melvin Burkhart? Uh, he was a real life Blockhead that apparently. Um, and this is, I, I, be, I went through a period where I became obsessed with, like, sideshow performers and needed to learn everything about them. Um, so you also are an amateur teratologist? Oh, for sure. Uh, Melvin Burkhart um, had a thing where, like, uh, when he was a young man, he was, like, a prize fighter in his youth. And he got socked in the nose so many times that, like, he had basically no bones in that part of his face. And he could, like, hammer a three-inch nail into his head from his, like, from in, into one of his nostrils. And it didn't hurt. And also, he was able to, like, isolate every muscle in his body so he could, like, operate one lung at a time. Like, it's intense. I'm, yeah. So, suffice it to say, when when it popped up that we were doing this episode today, I, I, I'm so fucking excited. Yeah, it's very great. Um, so, teratology is, have you ever read any books on freaks and like the study of freaks which feels gross to say that word but right it is the preferred nomenclature for like sideshows yeah circuses you know i feel like if, especially if like it's it's your it's just your job like this is your life like yeah I, I i've never i've never read any books about it i've done a lot of like online digging so it's wild because in the 30s and 40s it's like this lady's just fat <laughs> Jesus Christ. Like, hey, look. And and also like, look, a South American. <laughs> you know what it is? It's almost it's 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 kind of like with pro wrestling where like back in the day you were like, "All right, here's a guy whose thing is that he's big and he puts people in headlocks." And now you've got people doing like triple moonsaults off of things and it's like the work rate freaks have to have now versus what you used to be able to do back in the day. Like it's it's really ramped itself up. I remember so so freak shows went out pretty quickly in our lifetime but i remember as a child at the mid-south fair going to a sideshow with like thumbelina the world's smallest woman mm -hmm. and she was just a little person and she was sitting in a rocking chair crocheting a blanket and people said are you real and she's like yes i am and she's just <laughs> like hey how are you thank you for your five dollars i hope you have a fun time at the fair <laughs> sweet just as you like and crocheting and she was the nicest lady man that's the fucking dream right just like i t th this is just getting to sit in a chair and people come and just give you money and you get to just hang out it's yeah it's... yeah um so <laughs> let's talk about this episode so a guy at this trailer uh, park in Florida, which is a trailer park designed for circus performers in the off season. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. So this is where they go and they're just like chilling and they're not like touring or doing anything. Um, 
and so they're they're sort of investigating things. And they talk to um, there's a little person who uh, was the the man from another place in um, Twin Peaks, um, and it's also in other X Files episodes. Yeah, he's he's been like this guy's been in everything. Like he, which I just realized the connection with Twin with, with this character and the fact that David Duchovny played Denise on Twin Peaks. So there you go. Um, as was the style in the early 90s. So uh, he is really pissy that uh, Mulder and Scully come in and they're kind of like, oh, so are you a circus performer? And he's like, oh, that's really fucking neat. You're just going to fucking profile me because I'm a little person. He's like, I got my degree in hotel management. He's like really aggro about his hotel management degree. <laughs> and what, also like, is he lays into Mulder? He's like, how would you like it if I assumed that you worked for the government because you have a unimaginative necktie and a squared off haircut and you're an all-american man and and Mulder's like uh, Mulder's like I do work for the government and he's like I you fucking got me though (laughs) like I'm (laughs) he's like wow that's uncomfortably accurate yes that's why I look like shit um now what's what's also incredible to me is that so when the alligator men's uh funeral uh service is happening um the the pa- the the pastor or I guess deacon or something I don't know what his deal is he's a religious guy, um, he is talking in a way that makes him sound like he's trying to auction something off and it's a dead body where he's like, and you were a really good person in life and you and and you were taken tragically from us and it was terrible and we respect and it was just sort of like his cadence is bizarre but not as bizarre as his haircut. His haircut. He looks like Seth Rollins. It's like that his hair probably does something normal, but he dunked it in a bucket of water before they hit. Yeah, yeah. Like, he... It's it's so much. It's it's like a mullet, but worse. You know? Like, it's just... It's, it's, it's very wet looking. It's very wet, and it's, like, very sort of um, thin on top, but also, like, oily in the back. Like, th- th- this back here is not helping this up top. Like, you're not... You cannot salvage this haircut. Um... And it's weird because, like, so during during the, the funeral service, um, Mulder and Scully are sitting there and kind of, like, looking around at all of the circus performers. You've got, like, the bearded lady. You've got, you know, all these performers. And, like, Scully is, is like, giving them, the like, the side eye with, like, whoa, what the fuck's going on here? And it's like, Scully, don't be fucking rude. Like, what are we doing? Like, you have fucking... You you probably saw Elvis on the way over here and subsequently denied that you saw him and also saw a case of hu- spontaneous human combustion at the gas station and now you're scandalized by the bearded lady? Grow up. <laughs> like it's, it's I just also rude. love that even though what's even worse is when the um, blockhead does his circus performance to interrupt the funeral... Even everyone at the circus funeral is like, that's in poor taste. The human blockhead is a messy bitch who, like, shows up <laughs> in the middle of this fucking funeral just be like, I can hammer nails into my chest. And it's, yeah, every, yeah, all of the performers are like, hey, do you mind? It's like he's showing up drunk at a wedding reception to fucking dunk he's on the He's that on the friend bride. that's always on and you're like, just stop. Oh, you know what it is? He's the guy that's like, hey, do you guys dare me to hammer a railroad spike into my chest? And everyone's like, no. And he's like, oh, this is so fucked up. I can't believe you guys are making me do this. And he gives that long speech at the end of the episode about how, like, everyone is homogenized. And again, they go in on Mulder as being, like, the poster (laughs) boy of, like, 
white corporate America, and he's like, it's only me in the conundrum who is a man with tattooed puzzle pieces all over his body. Yeah. The homemade freaks that are really keeping it going. And it's like, probably don't sit around and lament your average genetics. <laughs> yeah. Like, that That to me is also weird because it's like, dude, Fox Mulder, all he does is eat sunflower seeds and jerk off. Like, can we stop holding him up as like... The all-American alpha male in in this episode. What are we doing? Um, yeah, this Which, guy is he's do you super think fucking that rude. Played into the toxic fandom of the 21st century is holding up characters like Fox Mulder as like exemplary. Maybe, yeah, maybe. I, I mean, Fox Mulder. I feel like if if he were on a different show and like Dracula's didn't exist he would be a tumbling, tumbling dickweed. Like, it's only by virtue of the fact that ghosts and shit exist that anybody has ever talked to Fox Mulder. Yeah, and he's like, I told you so. I'm finally vindicated. <sighs> Man. And so... Uh, so, so it's only the fact that there are worse creatures in the world <laughs> that makes <laughs> Fox Mulder bear. Yeah, it's 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 good for contrast to be like, well, I mean, you know, at least at least they're not He's Fox better Mulder. than a Romanian shadow demon, but <laughs> only a little. Yeah, but only because he looks like David Duchovny. That doesn't hurt. I uh, am permanently in love with both uh David Duchovny and Gillian Anderson. Um, I think because I think I imprinted on them like a baby duck when I was a kid. Um, I just it's it it is what it is. Um, but so I was terrified to watch the show as a child. When the cold opens would come on after The Simpsons, I would run out of the room crying. Oh yeah, well because it's it's scary. It's it it the thing is it's scary and it'll scare you. I the, I love and by it the way actually is like real scary. <laughs> oh yeah, like that's like the the scares hold up. I think also I love. I, uh, if I were watching X-Files, but, like, they didn't have the rights to the X-Files theme music and intro and stuff, I feel like I wouldn't want to watch it because I love how much the show intro, where it's, like, the credits, how much it's just, like, a, a PowerPoint presentation where it's, like, hello, here is the government. Oh, here's a guy disappearing into a foot, into a fingerprint. Government denies all knowledge. And it's just, like, it's the goofiest intro in the world. But it's very stupid, and yet the music is perfect. Yeah, that music fucking slaps. Like I still love the X Files theme. It's it's completely perfect. Um, so let's talk about Hepcat Hepcat Helm. Hepcat fucking Helm. So uh, they they go to uh, what like a bar and they're talking to the sheriff, who you find out later used to be uh, used to perform as Jim Jim the Dog Faced Boy. But uh, gosh, male pattern baldness is a <laughs> son of a bitch. <laughs> it's a fucker. It comes for us all. Uh, he, you know, he sort of uh, they 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 find uh, a drawing of the Fiji mermaid, not Fiji, the place, F E E J E E mermaid, which um, is a real thing. Like yeah. the whole, like the part where they're like Barnum, P T Barnum sold this. Uh, sideshow attraction oh, we're that was a stuffed mermaid that was probably a fish and a monkey is a real thing and you can purchase fiji mermaids uh in a lot of antique stores and i will um <laughs> but so you know they're sort of like hey this what's with this fucked up illustration of a a, a a ghoul and they're like oh that's hepcat helm's work and they're like hepcat helm and like also 
my my favorite thing is watching David Duchovny say the word hepcat. Like he's just so disappointed in his own mouth for pronouncing the word hepcat. Uh, what but, is the over under that hepcat helm named himself? Oh, one hundred percent. And he tried getting it going as a nickname, but nobody would fucking do it. So he, I, I bet hepcat helm legally changed his name to hepcat helm so that that's what you have to call him. Um, his name is probably like Jerry or something, but so they, they go and visit Hepcat Helm, uh, to, to see what's up. Um, and he is in this big industrial workspace where at every point when you see him, he is bumping the same Screamin' Jay Hawkins song constantly. Yeah. Hepcat. I was trying to think about how this was made in the nineties. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, this would have been 1994. Yeah, so 94. And Helm is like a monster kid into... He's always making, like, Frankenstein sculptures and is obsessed with Screaming Jay Hawkins. And his name is Hepcat. So, like, he's a (laughs) 50s, 60s kind of Ratfink dude. He's like a Ratfink dude that um, I feel like would be at home in an early Rob Zombie movie. Yeah, so that's what, like, a 30 years behind... So, like, he's he's got 30-year-old nostalgia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, in the reboot X-Files, where they remake this episode in 2020, mm-hmm. what is the 30-year-old analog of Hepcat Helm? I'll tell you who it is. And I, I'm only saying this because I just said it. Rob Zombie. Like, it would literally just be <laughs> some guy who's listening to, like, Knights in White Satin or, like, Iron Butterfly or something constantly and just being like ah like he so all right so hepcat helms thing is that he um runs a fun house which he takes umbrage to when um i keep wanting to call him jim jim but i don't want to dead name the sheriff like i'm just gonna say the sheriff i forget his name uh the sheriff is like yeah he runs a fun house and hepcat's like uh jeez don't call it a fun house i make a pant shitting terror moment for people in my house of grim doom and it's like yeah so it's a anyway so it's a fun house um which sets up nicely the climax of the episode and where it's going to take place by the way yeah because it's it's guess what it's the classic chasing people in a fun house and which mirror should I shoot? Right. I always think of, yeah, like, honestly, any any climax that doesn't take place in a funhouse should disclose that and apologize. Like, I just want people <laughs> shooting at mirrors where the thing isn't there. Uh, funhouse but, or, like, in the Punisher movie with Dolph Lundgren where ninjas are sliding down a funhouse slide. <laughs> yeah, or uh, the, the, cl- the climactic battle in Birds of Prey where it's, <laughs> yeah, just fucking, just goofery. Um, and so they, uh, so Mulder and Scully poke around a little bit more and they meet, uh, Mulder is like lurking down by the river, just like, you know, doing whatever it is Mulder's doing. And he spots, um, the guy with a full body jigsaw puzzle tattoo, um, who calls himself or is called by other people, the conundrum side note here, the actor who that is a His genuine... real name is the enigma, right? Isn't which... it? Yeah, it's the, yeah, the the enigma, and his thing is that he is a uh, he's a sideshow performer. He that's a legit full body tattoo. Um, he's got like horns surgically inserted into his head, like these little like giraffe nubs. And he is sitting by the river, biting into a big fucking cartoon bass, like Danny DeVito as the penguin. Like he is just 
really fucking going for it. And Mulder's like, hey, what the fuck's up with that? And the guy scurries off immediately. Um, and so later on, you sort of, you, you, we, we circle back around to the human blockhead, who this guy, when, when he's not being a messy bitch who crashes funerals, he is straight monologuing 24 over 7. This all the fucking time. Yeah, and he's sort of, you know, when, when Mulder and Scully, you know, come to the trailer park, he's like dangling over uh, a cauldron full of water, and he's like upside down and getting out of a straight jacket, and Mulder, uh, Scully kind of has a great line here where it's like, uh, he, he gets out of it, he's like, how many people do you know that can get out of a straight jacket in three minutes? And Scully's like, fortunately none. <laughs> like, it's... And so they, you know, they talk with him and they kind of figure out, um, there's a performer in this episode, um, who plays, uh, Jenny Callender's, uh, dad in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, basically, where he's just sort of, you've, you've seen him in a million things. And I, I feel like I've just said this actor, like, you know who he is and you've seen him before. Everybody listening right now can probably guess which character actor I'm talking about. Just really tall, really long face, really, like, kind of oddly gentle. Speaking of Batman, he plays the, the organ grinder in Batman Returns. Um, and he uh, is part of this, like, they, I don't know, like, where, when do we actually find out what the deal is? So his first appearance, he's he's carrying luggage for... Scully and says, "Yeah, um, I was a sideshow performer. Me and my twin brother." And he points to like his shirt has a big hump because he's got like a conjoined twin. But he's like, "The hotel manager taught me to be more dignified, so now I'm an alcoholic uh, bellhop." Yeah, and it's like it's super sad. Like apparently, um, there was uh, they 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 talk about the Fiji mermaid, and they're like, you know, this was a, a monkey with a fishtail attached. It's a, a humbug. Um, and so the, the little person that, uh, roasted the shit out of Fox Mulder, uh, gets, uh, attacked by the thing that you, like, you start to see more of it, and it kind of looks like, um, the, the, the monster in this episode, um, kind of in Hellraiser, the engineer, where it's, like, this big floating thing chasing Kersey down a hallway and yelling, where it's very raw looking, very kind, almost kind of skinless and very art, very very handsy, you know. Yeah, um, and and it leaves blood smears around because it's like leaving a blood trail, and that's like one of the major clues. So it's like, is it the Fiji mermaid? And skip towards the end, it's actually the bellhop's conjoined twin who says, "I don't like my brother," and he's trying to insert himself into another person. Yeah, which is kind of sweet actually. Like it's just and, and it's just trying to go home. Like it's just trying to look for a new brother because like it, you sort of find out that um uh, Lanny the the bellhop um he's dying of cirrhosis of the liver um because of just years of of drinking too much. Uh, and so, uh, his underdeveloped conjoined twin is, like, looking for a new brother, which is... But it's also ironic because, yes, Lanny is an alcoholic, but his alcoholism is exacerbated by the fact that not even his conjoined twin wants to be his brother. Man, yeah, like, that's, that's, that's rough. Like, even they don't want to be around you because you drink too much. And what's wild is by the end of the episode... 
Mulder and Skull are like, all right, Lanny, we'll see you later. <laughs> and they just get on the car and drive away. Yep. Uh, and so he, so we, 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 we get down to it. We know who's doing it. Um, apparently the conundrum, uh, so they have a big shootout in the funhouse with the conjoined, uh, the, the underdeveloped conjoined twin. Um, it's about what you'd expect from a funhouse uh, climax to an episode. And there is a gun that shatters a mirror as is requ- as is requisite <laughs> as is, as is required by law. Uh, and so they, they get out of the funhouse and they see the conundrum, the, the, the full bodied puzzle tattoo guy, um, sort of on the ground, like clutching himself. And, you know, you're sort of like, okay, so, uh, the conjoined twin probably attacked him. Um, and then we cut to, uh, the blockhead, uh, doc- Dr. Blockhead, by the way, which is his, I think, stage name. Yeah, he does not have a degree, honorary or <laughs> He didn't go to Blockhead Medical School. This is Stolen Valor. Um, and he's, like, about to skip town with uh, the conundrum who's riding shotgun. And he, he cuts this promo on uh, Mulder and Scully about how, like, nature abhors normality. And, you know, it's, it's, on, it's on people like me to, you know, remind people that, you know, we're, we're out here doing it. And then so is he textually an asshole or are we just like watching and now saying that guy's an asshole? Well, you know what it is? I think I don't think he's textually an asshole because I think what this episode is doing and maybe this is, you know, we're looking at this in like from from a 2020 point of view. But all like all of the, the, the freaks in this episode are like really like smart and well spoken and they're just fucking people like they're people. And I feel like the episode keeps reminding us, like, hey, just because somebody looks different doesn't mean you should make assumptions about them or be an asshole. Um, and I think that he's meant to be cutting, like, sick promos about, like, nah, you laughed at us because we're different, etc. Um, I, th- I don't think that he's textually an asshole, but he has the facial hair of an asshole. Well, and here's the other thing. All of the people with congenital um, differences are normal people, and he's the one typical person and he's the one who's insufferable yeah he's yeah he's the one who shows up to someone's funeral like stabbing themselves and doing fucking trick like stupid so like is it trying to say that like he's trying too hard and he's actually a monster he's he's like a weeaboo but for circus performers is what it is like the rest of them are just trying to have a fucking funeral and he's like and like jumping out of nowhere to stab himself um, and then so the conundrum who's sitting shotgun, the first thing he says the whole episode, because his thing, uh, is that he's, he's a geek. Uh, so he can just kind of, he eats living animals and can kind of eat anything. Um, he, he looks like he's having a rough gastrointestinal time and Mulder's like, Hey buddy, how you doing? And he says, probably something I ate and smiles, which I think means he ate the conjoined twin. Yes. And it's also like. Again, Scully is the one that's like, damn it, I saw it, I want to prove it, and now there's no physical evidence, so because I'm a scientist, it is just another one where we have to shrug and move on. Yeah, yeah I think that's what it is, is like, look, they, they're already departing for fucking parts unknown, like, this is, alright, well this is one for my therapist's office, and that's pretty much it. So... Season 1, Episode 7 of The X-Files is at number 234. That's Ghost in the Machine, which is about a person being in a machine, and it aired on Halloween. 
Yeah, which is is not for nothing that it aired on Halloween. I feel like that gives anything uh, a, an, an automatic boost up the list if it's a Halloween episode of a thing. I think Humbug is definitely better than Ghost in the Machine. For sure, it's better than Ghost in the Machine at 234. Um, so right above that is, um, I think, a qu- quietly on our list, uh, a, a subtle heavy hitter that we, we sort of use a lot as a metric uh, the House of Wax remake from 2005. Is it better or worse than uh, Humbug from season two of X-Files? I don't think Humbug is enough different from episode seven of season one to justify moving it above House of Wax. I think that yeah. it would be better to say it's better than season one, but it's not. It's still the X-Files and it's still exactly what you're looking for in the yeah. X-Files. Exactly right. And I think I also want to place it above Ghost in the Machine because I was pleasantly surprised that this was an episode about people with physical disabilities. And, you know, it's 1994. So any show that's like, hey, so this is the episode that's basically Todd Browning's Freaks. You know, you're kind of already bracing for like, okay, so this is going to get real fucking shitty. And white knuckling. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're absolutely gritting your teeth through it. And I think this, I mean, obviously, it's probably easy for me to say this because I'm not a circus performer or, you know, somebody with uh, a physical disability that, you know, makes me sort of notable to, to people who might be shitty to me. I, I, I feel like this episode does okay. Yeah. So let's talk about what might be the best episode of the X-Files. Holy Christ. So the next, the second episode we're talking about is uh, the episode Home uh, from Season 4. Uh, it's Episode 2, Season 4. Episode um, 2 of the season. We, you man. have the first episode, which is the prerequisite. We're going to talk about aliens and the big conspiracy because that's every season opening and season closer. Right. But Episode 2, Welcome Back This Week. Now let's talk about the Peacock family. Well, yeah, and I gotta tell you, I and on X Files, I kind of don't care for the season uh, closings and openings because it's always part of some big fucking government conspiracy, and it's a two-parter. The one, the one that I give exception to is the so Scully uh, has you know a, a crucifix necklace because you know she's Christian, uh, and like not not overtly so, and not in a way that factors in except when it's like convenient to the plot. Um, the fact that, like, when Scully got abducted by, like, aliens, we think, and, you know, Mulder wearing her necklace because he doesn't believe in anything, but he believes in her, that f- put me in the fucking ground. I can't... I'm, I'm getting choked up thinking about that as a, as a concept on this show. Um, we are off to the fucking races uh, in season two, where this episode was, um, I think, banned in some places, right? First episode to have a viewer discretion is advised warning before the episode. Because it's still, I believe, predated TV ratings on television shows. Yeah, which honestly, though, with TV ratings, does anybody ever look at those in any substantial way? I will tell you that I do. Ah, uh, yeah. A fool's errand because they, they do not ever make sense there is no agreed upon rating system right nobody's sitting at no, nobody's looking at an episode of tv and going like well a 16 year old could watch this but i don't think a 15 year old like no one it's it, it seems very sort of 
broad strokes. Yeah, it's it's like a we're gonna. I think it came about as a sort of like this is how we can calm down the moral panic by just like self policing, and but no one's really paying attention to. Yeah, it. it's it's like the Hayes Code. I think I you know I always think of how my grandma watches like Law and Order shows where it's you know just sort of describing the most gruesome fucking things you can do to the human body, but it's like on network TV. But Home is a different case to me. Um, yeah, because they bury a baby alive in the first in the cold open of the show the cold open we are burying a baby in a hole network television the simpsons and fucking (laughs) king of the hill just went off the air and now we're burying a baby (laughs) hey guys thanks for watching seinfeld i hope the gang makes it uh quick cut here to a dead baby in a hole with a hand sticking out although the hand is not sticking out yet so um, okay, open... real talk. Yeah. Right before this came on TV, the local news anchor had some kind of scary thing, which I'm thinking 90, what, 6? So it would have been something about, like, you know, next up, let's... I wonder how the election's gonna go. Right. Bob Dole has this to say, and now, uh, next up is X-Files. Dead baby in the rain. <laughs> Yeah, so we, we you know we we get the the birth happens and so you sort of see um, some weird looking folks that you kind of can't totally see yet, but you know that there's like their heads kind of look like uh, a candy bar left on a hot dash. Yeah, and they sort very of bulbous. Yeah, very very bulbous. Very yeah. Uh, so they 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 bury it in the rain, and then we cut to basically the sandlot where it's like kids talking shit and playing baseball. And one of them hits the ball and they're like, oh, no, like it fell, fell over into the peacock place. Like it's over on their lawn. And then a kid sort of steps on the the, the, the pitcher's or the, the batter's mound and or, no, excuse me. the What am I saying? The pitcher's mound. Home plate. Home plate. Thank you. I don't I don't know about baseball. What is what is a sporting ball? I, what, 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 what is the baseball? Uh, and so they step on the, the, the dirt and like blood spurts out. Or not, not spurts out, but it kind of like oozes, and so they yeah. they they figure out very quickly, like, oh, there's a we well, we found the baby hole, uh, it's there and it's full of blood, and so uh, Mulder and Scully get on the scene. Mulder, fucking Mulder, Mulder is doing l- like laddish little tricks with a baseball while they're standing and on the. Scully's f- like, God damn it, Mulder, talk to me <laughs> about these samples. Stop being a knucklehead yeah like would you would you please take something seriously for once in your goddamn sunflower seed eaten life and he's and then he launches into this monologue where he's you know sort of or not monologue i guess but he's sort of like you know this reminds me of the place where samantha and i grew up parentheses remember samantha samantha Mulder, samantha my sister who i'm looking for samantha and he's like you know back in the day you could just churn your butter in peace and you know you could eat raw corn off the cob and you didn't have to lock your door and didn't nobody pay no never mind. And he's like sort of waxing, you know, rustic about how, like, if he didn't have to live in the big city, this is the kind of which place is, where he'd want to settle down. Which is also great foreshadowing because later the car- the sheriff dies because he didn't lock his goddamn front door. Lock the goddamn door. Like, honestly, it uh, it makes me think of my, my so my dad, um, who grew up in rural Illinois. Uh, and then sort of like went away and lived other places and then moved 
back uh, with um, my my stepmom and my half brothers like a couple of years ago. Um, they it's funny because like the way that my dad used to talk about Crawford County, Illinois, was very much the way Mulder is talking about you know a place like this, a town literally named Home with like population nobody. And, you know, the way that my dad talked about it was very sort of Norman Rockwell, right? Where it's like, oh, yeah, you know, like my dad, who was a, you know, soybean farmer, you know, made us a little boathouse down at the fishing hole. And, you know, we could just like make homemade explosives and set them off in a cornfield. And like he used to wax really, you know, nostalgic about it. And then when he moved back, he realized like, oh, right. My neighbor was apparently a child molester. The guy, you know, a couple of rows down died from a, a heroin overdose. And it's, you know, sort of a... a, a you know, you kind of can't go home again. Yeah. <laughs> like, the, the place that you've built up in your in your mind as being this idyllic setting, it was actually very bad. And so he's, you know, sort of talking to Scully about, like, you know, you don't, you don't know my life, Scully. Like, I know that I live in the big city now, but, you know, if I had my druthers, I would live in a rural setting. And Scully kind of calls bullshit on it, goes like, yeah, if you had to go, like, five seconds without your cell phone, you'd lose your fucking mind. So let's not... <laughs> Let's like can we can we can the Mayberry impersonation for a second sunflower seeds, um, and he's like uh, uh, no, uh. but I also love that the sheriff literally says my town is going away, which is also frustrating because this evil in his town has been there for a literal century. Yeah, like he's so he's you know the, the sheriff is on the scene talking to Mulder and Scully, and. You know, he talks about like, oh, you know, the Peacock family. Well, those boys, their parents died and they're kind of like feral people who live there. And like their family has lived in that home since the Civil War. Um, and but in the 1990s, that's still over a century ago. Yeah, and it's it's over a century ago. And so they've got this big white fucking Cadillac on their lawn. And Mulder's like, hey, what's up with that? And the sheriff's like, oh, yeah, we get that around here. People's cars pop up, but then the people themselves just kind of move on. And we have a lot of spare cars lying around. Like, Sheriff, did you think to run the plates of these Run the fucking plates, Sheriff. What are we doing? Um, he's yeah, like what? Did you have to mop the drunk tank? And I, I, I don't know what's going on. Um, but so the sheriff—they don't even have a drunk tank. <laughs> no, I they... also like that the deputy's name is Barney, and he's like, "Damn it, my last name is not Fife." <laughs> he's so pissy when he's like, "All right, this is Deputy Barney," and Mulder's like, "Fife." He's like. No, and he he says whatever whatever his name was. I'm, I'm forgetting. It's like priest. Or pa- something. Oh, pastor, pastor with an e. Pastor. Yeah, there we go. Oh, because uh, he's so uh, pastoral. Ah, yeah, there we go. Like you know, he could have been Barney Rural, but it would have been too on the nose. Um, <laughs> and so they, you know, Mulder and Scully are back at the the, the hotel, and Mulder is trying to watch TV, and it's got like the fucking cartoony rabbit ears on the TV, and he's like j- sort of jiggling him trying to get reception, and we get. Um, a nature documentarian who sounds basically like David Lynch going, the eldest dominant male in the pack moves in to ensure that the prey has been killed. And, you know, you know that it's like, wow, could this be foreshadowing? I love the show so much. Um, <laughs> so they, uh, the, the, the rednecks get, uh, they, they load up, uh, although they're not even rednecks, I feel like. They're like mutant folk. Yeah, they're, they're the... Hills Have Eyes people. Yeah, yeah, they're the, they're the fucking desert mutants from Hills Have Eyes. And so they, they load up and get into the, the, the Cadillac, and they like listening to this fucking 
doo-wop song, basically. It's like it's like a crooner thing um, that pops up throughout the episode, and they drive down to the sheriff's house. The sheriff didn't lock the goddamn door, and we get this moment where he's, like, closing. He's standing out on the front porch with his wife, and he's like, ah, geez, you know, I just want to take one last good look at my home before it changed, like, at, at my hometown before it inevitably gets, you know, urbanized or people show up. By this mutant baby that is in my uh, refrigerator at the sheriff's office because we don't have a morgue. It's like it's it's like if no it's like a community theater adaptation of No Country for Old Men where it's like Tommy Lee Jones lamenting that no one says please and thank you anymore. <laughs> um, and then not only and his, does... and his wife literally says like, "Honey, come to bed." <laughs> <laughs> dear, dear, you're whispering to the corn again. Um, and then so they uh, the the mutants break in. They it th- this scene is legit hard to watch. Yeah, it's. And it's it's because it's scored by this like bubblegummy doo-wop, and it's just gross and creepy. It's gross and creepy, and the the mutants kill the shit out of everyone. Um, the the sheriff, uh, so he dies, and then Mulder and Scully sort of show up to to see what what's what. And Pastor has shown up and found them because he's like, I was going to run some reports over to the sheriff. And it's like, bud, couldn't you have used, like, a can attached to a string, apparently, because you live in fucking 1930s Nebraska? Fuck out of here. Um, And he's like, yeah, so they got murdered to shit, and I'm pretty sure it was the Peacock family. Which, by the way, if you know immediately that it was the Peacock family because you've got murder mutants in your town, why didn't you do something about the murder mutants before? And it's clearly a progressive town. They have an African-American sheriff. Yeah. So, like, they could have gone ahead and, like, cleaned up the the mutants as well as the racists. Yeah, I, it's, honestly, uh, that, 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 would, that would be a good platform if you're running for sheriff of home is no more murder mutants. You know, like, we're going to clean up the cornfields. We're going to fucking, <laughs> we're going to put them behind bars because we don't have a jail, but we do have, like, my pantry where I keep drunks who need to sleep it off, apparently. Um, and so Mulder and Scully kind of, uh, they, they load up with Pastor and they, uh, infiltrate the home to try to take down the mutants because they know that there's a woman being, they know that the baby was from, like, the baby's DNA matches theirs, and so they're like, okay, so there's probably a woman being held against her will in this house with the murder mutants, and they find out that, indeed, they are hiding a woman underneath the floorboards, but it's their mom. And Their it, mom. It's an incest episode. It's an incest and episode. She, she, the the best moment is Scully saying like, "Ma'am, we're here to help you. We're here to save you." And they pull her up from under the bed, and she goes, "No," and scuttles back under the bed. Yeah, and then she's like, "Get the fuck out of my house. This is my home." Like, you, you remember the episode title? That's where I fucking live. And like, she's. You know, they they try pulling her out. Like all, I think all of her limbs have been removed, and she's good. Yeah, because she, she was like caught in an accident, and the the accident that they thought killed her actually just made her uh, quadriplegic. Which the thing is, she lost her arm. Did her sons just like lop off the other three for symmetry? 
Yes. She literally says, they sewed me up just like we, the family learned in the War of Northern Aggression. Which is it's sort of on the nose that she calls it, calls it the War of Northern Aggression. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty intense. Um, and so she's basically, you know, Mulder and Scully are trying to be like, ma'am, please, this is uh, horrifying and monstrous. I, I don't want to live in a Flannery O'Connor short story. Please, can we get you out of here? And she's like, fuck out of here. Um... And then the, the, the mutants come back, and they, one of them, um, so their their entire home is booby-trapped, which I imagine, they seem pretty crafty with, like, making stuff, so maybe it's just that you've got to make your own fun when you're a murder mutant. I guess. It does seem weirdly technical for what are supposed to be backwoods murder mutants. Yeah, and so um, one of them gets um, stabbed with a, 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 a booby trap, and the other two uh, sort of manage to get away, and Mulder and Scully are like, all right, well, this is going to scar me for the rest of my life, I guess. But what's also amazing to me, by the way, is that Deputy Pastor, who I, I neglected to mention, um, he opens the door to the house uh, at, 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 the, at the outset, and he gets his fucking head chopped off. Um, by was it like a device that swings an axe out at whatever? Yeah, it's it's like a um, basically it's a Dungeons and Dragons trap. It's like a <laughs> spring loaded axe on a on a door hinge. Deputy Pastor fails his spot check and he gets decapitated. But what's amazing about it is that this happens, and then Mulder and Scully, who were are, are sort of off to the side watching this happen. They don't really, they kind of no sell the decapitation they just witnessed because he gets his head lopped off, and Mulder's like, Wow, Scully, this is exactly like that nature documentary we were watching about the hyenas. And he's, and then he's like, You know, these are people who are separated from the rest of the world. And they've, and he's like going off on this thing, and it's like, Mulder, I'm sorry, did you see the fucking decapitation just now? Like, can you maybe (laughs) wait to read the Wikipedia article for hyenas? It's, Jesus Christ, Mulder. Um, and so what happens is that, like, they, they lose, they can't find the murder uh, mutants or the mom, all of whom have disappeared. And Mulder and Scully are like, all right, well, I guess let's cut Slingload and head back to D.C. Yeah, they're like, well, better luck next time. You don't, you can't win them all. <laughs> and then what's fascinating is there's a, there's a stinger where we see the Cadillac driving down the road and the mom is talking to the son about how, like, we'll, there will always be more. You can't keep the peacocks down. We'll be back. And they never do a sequel episode. Which I honestly kind of, I kind of like it because I feel like, you know, episodes like this, like, I think the, the nearest thing I can compare it to in, in terms of just, like, a fucking banger of an episode that you want to sort of, you know, it's like a one-off that was really, really good, is uh, Blink from Doctor Who, where I am I feel like they went to that well too many fucking times because they did The Weeping Angels, and that episode fucking kicks ass. And then they just kept sort of going like, oh, no, here's them again, but now they can appear if you look at a picture of them. Also, the Statue of Liberty is a, a, a you know, and they sort yeah, of... Yeah, it's like the, the it's, it's... Um, diminishing returns. So, like, to get the same... It's like, you know, when you get addicted to porn and, like, first you start off with, like, 
chase bra ads and the next thing you know you're watching illegal crush films made in the <laughs> philippines <laughs> yeah yeah there's a you know sort of in order to approximate the same the same high of it you sort of have to keep it's like how hulk hogan when his body stopped being able to wrestle so well and he just started fucking blading for every match and it was like all right i guess this is what we're doing now yeah and and x-files never goes back to this again and i kind of love the fu- the the ambient sort of threat of the Peacock family being out there somewhere. It's almost like we're all members of the, it's almost like society or the monsters. <laughs> yeah. Which, <laughs> which is a very blockhead monologue. Like, ah, let's, you know, honestly though, this, this is sort of like, listen, Dr. Blockhead, if you are a real, do- if that is your you real think name. Chris Carter is an awful person to be at a cocktail party with. Or do you oh. think he's a great person to be at a cocktail party with? Fuck. I could go either way, actually. Like, either Has he's he like- had time to like, process all of this <laughs> well yeah that's what it is it's like i wonder if he's one of those people who like you know if he's like sampling his own supply and he's like well if you really think about it we live in a society like that would be obviously unbearable but i feel like if you're the showrunner of the x-files you kind of have to be down to be like yeah i did the show with the fucking chupacabra like i you know i made i made a show and it made me a lot of money and it's great um, what so, of it? <laughs> yeah, say something. So, all right. So, looking at the list, I'm I'm putting this well above um, Humbug at number two thirty four. Um, because this this episode is some genuinely just effective straight ahead fucking horror. Like this is, yes. it is so the scene where the the mutants break into the sheriff's house is so fucking brutal, and they were doing this on network TV for God's sake. Um, yeah. All right, so looking at another thing with a mutant in it, the Toxic Avenger is at number 195. Um, I feel like I want to give the edge to home. Okay, counterpoint. That puts home above Maniac Cop 2. Oh, shit. Are you, so wait, are you saying the thing that this episode needed was a tie-in rap about the incest mutants. That's all we they, needed. They don't set a mutant on fire and film him forever. My name's Fuck Mutant, and I'm here to say I resent the FBI in a normal way. And it's just, yeah, that's exactly what, yeah, that's what that's what it needed. Honestly, I think you're it's totally right. It's also saying it's better than Chopping Mole, which has kill bots, so I don't know if I'm comfortable with oh, that. Ah, jeez, you're, you're, you're completely right. Like, like kill bots at a, at a at a shopping mall, I think, right above that. Where I will, I think, where I want to draw the line, so if we're talking about sort of degenerate cannibal like, weirdos, um, at number 227 is Ravenous, and I love the movie Ravenous, but I think Ravenous has a flaw, which is that it is not nearly gay enough for who who the characters are. It needs to be like 180% gayer than it is, and it's like afraid to do that. Um, So purely for that, I think Home from X-Files has the strength of its fucking convictions to start the episode with a dead baby in a hole. Um, It knows what it's about, and it goes for it, and I think purely for that, I want to put it above Ravenous, but below Chopping Mall. All right, so that's our new number 227. Hell yeah. Um, I feel feel pretty good about that. Um, Quincy, where can our listeners find us on the internet? 
we are on a plethora of social media uh, places. You can check out our website, rankandfile.com. Uh, we're on Twitter, rankandfilecast, uh, where you can also find links to our Discord and our Cosme servers. Uh, you can also find us on Instagram at rankandfile. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, send us an email at rankandvilecast at gmail.com. Uh, Ryan, where else are we on the internet? Um, if you enjoy our breakdowns of uh, X-Files episodes um, and uh, the, the fearless uh, reporting of, needing, of pointing out that uh, the, the, the Incest Mutant episode needed a tie wrap, um, consider going uh, over to uh, iTunes and leaving us a, uh, a review and a rating. Um, it would it would help us out a lot. Um, we also have a Patreon uh, where um, you can have access to our show notes and bonus episodes and all all manner of uh, uh, bonus stuff. Um, but barring that, uh, that is about all I've got. Got anything else? Um, again, shout out to Cobra Clutch Club for our new um, show logo. It is so great. Um, thank you again for that. And, yeah. Uh, stay spooky, everybody. Later, folks.